As you all know, we were gone for uh, last week. We were away at a missions conference in Indiana. Uh, if you are not familiar with what that is, a missions conference, I just want to explain just a little bit of that to you, tell you just a couple of things. We'll look at a scripture here in just a moment. When we use the word missions, people use the word missions in a lot of different ways. But when we use the word missions, we are talking about the starting of local churches in places where there are none or where there are a limited number of local assemblies that are preaching the biblical gospel and teaching the word of God. There are churches everywhere, of course, uh, but in many cases those churches do not place the Bible or the word of God at the foundation of their church. So when we speak of missions, we are talking about planting churches. That's another term we use to plant a church because a church, a New Testament church, is a living, growing organism. It's not just an organization. It's a living, growing organism. organism. So, so we plant them and pray that they grow. And so we plant Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-living local assemblies of people who know the Lord and are committed to following Him. That's what we mean when we use the term missions. So churches, local churches, usually larger assemblies, will often have a conference where they remind their church folks of the Great Commission to go into all the world and make disciples and teach them to follow the Lord Jesus and uh, to, to remind us of all of our responsibility to, to promote the sending of missionaries and the planting of Bible-based churches and to support them with prayer and financial commitments to the cause of Christ. And when these churches have these conferences, they invite pastors and others who are doing uh, this work of planting churches and developing uh, those, those church ministries. So we were invited to go to this church in Indiana for their missions conference. Uh, at that conference, there was a main speaker and four missionary, four missionary folks, uh, us and three others. Uh, one couple who was there had served in Peru for 38 years and was actually just about to retire. They're going to move back to the area in the U.S. that they're from, but they're already getting involved in a Spanish ministry in their church, and they're going to spend their quote-unquote retirement years serving in their home church in the Spanish ministry there, perhaps other ways as well. Another couple lived in Utah, they still live in Utah, and they serve missionaries by building various types of church facilities throughout North America. They're also organizing a, a combination, of kind of a Bible college trade school, uh, kind of a unique idea, uh, where you actually can get a Bible degree and learn a trade, welding, electrical, or whatever. And that's going to be in their, their location there in Utah. As I say, it's a very unique idea. We pray it'll be a help to many ministries around the world. A third fellow, his wife was not with him. She's just a few weeks away from giving birth to their first child. He is a, he was a Haitian national, meaning he's born and raised in Haiti. He came to the United States to get a Bible education. He's planning to go back to Haiti to serve as a pastor, Bible teacher, church planter in the northern part of Haiti where he is from. I would love to have him come here. I already talked to him about coming here sometime. He's uh, going to be in the States until the end of this year. And I love what's on his card. It says, taking the gospel of grace to Haiti where voodoo is king. 
And it certainly is. Uh, this fellow's name is Jimmy. Fascinating life story. Great vision. A heart to preach the gospel in very difficult circumstances. Uh, for one example, he says Haiti is totally controlled by gangs. There's three of them. One in the north, one in the south, one in the east. And you can't cross over from one gang territory to another gang territory. Uh, just, I mean, you just, wherever you live, that's the section of the country where you have to stay. The, the, the government is just, a, he calls it a de facto government. It's there in name, but they can't do anything. The gangs control the country. And there, and there are so many kidnappings because the gangs control the country. Uh, they, they, they kidnap pastors and church leaders and they hold them for ransom to try to raise money. And so because there are so many of those kinds of kidnappings, the folks in their churches there, they, they, they change the time of their church service every single Sunday. And I thought, boy, that would throw my folks all to pieces to change the service time every single Sunday. But, but they do that. They change the service time every single Sunday so that it's harder for the gangs to figure out who's meeting and which church group is meeting where and when. And I thought just, I mean, it, it's interesting. I, I mean, that's just one example of the many challenges that they face in Haiti trying to preach the gospel. But Jimmy, is, if that's his name, he is determined to go back and serve there regardless of the difficulties and the dangers. He's in his late 20s, been in the States for just a few years. Uh, fascinating guy. I would love to have him come here and speak. If we can work it out, I'd love to have you meet him. I'd love to have you hear his life story and his testimony, hear how he came to Christ. So our, our time there, it was, uh, it, was, it was a blessed four days for us. Great to meet some other church folks involved in missions, see a lot of old friends. That church has been supporting uh, Carol and I financially for, for 41 years and was one of the churches that way back in 1995, they sent out a group of folks who helped us build this building. And so they were, they were all over this building before we had all the finishing stuff done. They did all the framing and, and uh, some of those folks on that crew have gone home to be with the Lord. Uh, there were still a few of them there. Glad to meet them and, and see some of them and renew old acquaintance. But as we were there, it also turned my heart toward a passage of scripture that I want to review with you and renew our thoughts regarding this great challenge from the Apostle Paul. We're going to return to our study of the Gospel Mark, Lord willing, next Sunday. But I would like, if you would, to have you turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I was going to read the entire introduction to what Paul is about to say, but we're just going to pick it up in verse 8 today. Romans chapter 1, I'm going to pick it up in verse 8 this morning. Romans 1 to verse 8, Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. 
Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as in me, or as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God <clears throat> to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's often been said that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the ability to overcome fear, to rise above it, to accomplish a task in spite of it. Fear is a very powerful motivator, and it often motivates us in the wrong direction. We fear ridicule. We fear being laughed at. We fear being cut off from our family and friends. Uh, we fear being viewed as being different or be, being out of step with the rest of society. That this world is, is no friend to the gospel. Jesus said that the world hated him and that it would hate those who followed him. Uh, there is an antagonistic, hostile attitude toward the truth of the scripture. And that is nothing new. Way back in the second century, there was a man named Celsus who wrote a very scathing letter toward, uh, against Christians. And when she said, let no cultured person get near them, none wise, none sensible, for all of them we count as evil. If any man, however, is ignorant and lacking in sense or culture, or if any is a fool, then let him come boldly to Christianity. We see Christians in their houses, they're just the most uneducated and common people. And then he compared Christians to a swarm of bats and ants crawling out of their nests and frogs holding a conference in a swamp. That one kind of amused me. <laughs> Worms cowering in the mud and is the way he described people who were following Jesus. And I thought, you know, it sounds kind of like the things that some people say today about people who believe the Bible. And so there are many, many reasons why professing Christians are fearful and ashamed to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Peter, the great apostle, the rough-and-tumble commercial fisherman, he got intimidated by a little girl that night of Jesus' arrests, by a little junior high school age girl, and he started. He denied, as you know the story, denied that he knew Jesus. <clears throat> Very similar things have happened to us, um, at least sometime or another. And I want to challenge you this morning with this thought. I was re-challenged with again this week. May I challenge you to not be ashamed of the gospel. And we, we will not be ashamed of the gospel if we have two things. If we have the, the, the commitment of a gospel messenger, and if we understand the content of the gospel message. The Apostle Paul was, was committed, and of course, any... Any committed follower of Jesus should have this, but he was committed to several things. Look in verse 11. He said, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. The first thing Paul was committed to was spiritual growth. See, that, that's a part, that, that, that is, that is a, that in fact, that is the whole point of our salvation. 
God did not save us to just leave us in the state that we are currently in. He saved us to grow us in Christ-likeness. Paul was, was committed to spiritual growth. He said, I want to see you so that I can impart to you a spiritual gift so that you can be established. Then in verse 12, he says, That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. He was, he was committed to fellowship. That mutual faith, that, that, uh, uh, that, that encouragement. In fact, I think it's very, very difficult, if not impossible, for a person to truly do the things God wants them to do and truly be what God wants them to be if they are not committed to a fellowship of believers. Paul says, I want to be encouraged together with you by our mutual faith. Our mutual faith is what lifts each other up. It's what encourages us. Paul was committed to spiritual growth. He was committed to fellowship. Verse 13, he was committed to bearing fruit. He said, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren. I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. He said, I want you to be spiritually productive. I don't want your life to be just this empty uh, routine of rolling through things day after day and nothing ever being produced for the kingdom of God. I want you to bear fruit. And then he was very, very dedicated in verse 14. He was committed to his calling. He said, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. What does he mean by that? What, what did he owe unbelievers? Well, what he owed them was the gospel. Paul says, God has saved me. He has given me the true gospel. And, and he said, I, I am a debtor. I owe the gospel to both, he said, the Greeks and the barbarians. Now, who are the barbarians? We use that word often. Uh, we talk about this or that person being a barbarian, or we look in history and we look at certain cultural groups being barbaric or so forth. But in the Greek culture, if you weren't Greek, you were a barbarian. Because all of the Greeks, and like I say, well, that sounds very racist. Yeah, it is. I mean, we're all, we all struggle with those same things. The Greeks thought they had education, they had philosophy, they had the arts, they had music, they had sculpting, they had all these things. And everybody else out there who did not have that, they were the barbarians and were the educated, sophisticated ones. And so Paul says, hey, when I take the gospel, I'm not just going to the people who are nice and the people who are educated and the people who seem to be economically, uh, you know, moving along just fine. He said, my commitment with the gospel is to everyone. His, his commitment crossed all cultural lines. He said, I have a debt to pay. I have an obligation to fulfill. And so Paul preached to the educated and the uneducated. He preached to the sophisticated and the simple-minded. He preached to the wealthy. He preached to the powerful. He preached to the lower levels of society. He preached to kings. He preached to everybody in between. He was no respecter of persons when it came to the gospel. He was committed to his calling. So not only was he committed to spiritual growth and fellowship and fruit bearing and to his calling, he was also committed to his purpose. Verse 15, he said, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. He was jailed in Philippi. He was run out of Thessalonica. 
He had to be smuggled out of Damascus. He was laughed at and mocked in Athens. He was called a fool in Corinth. He was accused of blasphemy in Jerusalem. He was, he was a lightning rod everywhere he went, and he seemed to start a riot almost everywhere. And yet Paul was committed to his purpose. He said, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. Many years ago, there was, a, there was a theologian called James Stifler. He wrote a wonderful commentary on the book of Romans. Uh, I've got one of his old, old original copies I inherited from my dad. I'm not sure if it's still in print or not, but boy, is it, it is a wonderful commentary on the book of Romans. One thing James Stifler said about Paul, it was a great quote. He said, he was not the master of his circumstances, but he was the master of his purpose. He couldn't control everything going on around him. He couldn't control how, who was going to respond and how they were going to respond and when he was going to get thrown in jail and when he was going to get beat up and when whatever was going to happen to him was going to happen to him. But he was in control of his purpose. And he said, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. So if we have that commitment, that same kind of commitment that the Apostle Paul had, that, that commitment to spiritual growth and fellowship and fruit bearing and, and committed to the purpose that God has for us, then we are on the road toward not being ashamed of the gospel. But let's look at the substance of the gospel. This is a famous verse. If you've been around church for most any of your life at all, you, you've heard this verse, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That is as, written, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let me give you five reasons why Paul was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And why we should certainly not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. First of all, because of its energy. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God. That word, uh, there's translated power. There's the Greek word dunamis. We get, we get our, our, our English word dynamite from that word. It means there is an inherent power. There is a power to accomplish something. There is a power that is usable. Uh, and so he says the gospel has power by its very nature. So because of its energy, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it has inherent power to, to, to change people. Which is the second thought. Not only was Paul not ashamed of the gospel because of its energy, he's not ashamed of it because of its effect. He said it brings salvation. It has the inherent power to change people, to save them, to, to deliver them. Going back to this fellow from, from Haiti, his, his grandfather was, was, a, was a voodoo practicing person until someone came and brought him the gospel. And because of that, now this fellow Jimmy is a third generation follower of Jesus. His grandfather grew up practicing voodoo, but the gospel of Christ changed his heart, changed his life, and, and you could go through, I mean, there's so many stories of just thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people whose lives have been changed by the power of the gospel. When they realize the, the love of God for them, when they realize the, the enormity of their own sin and, and their desperate need for Christ, and, and, and they pour their heart out to the Lord, they confess their sin, they come to Him, God changes them. 
In fact, he says he's going to put a new heart in us. He's going to give us a new life. And so Paul says, hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I've seen it change people. I've seen what the gospel can do. People can mock it. People can scoff at it. People can make fun of it. People can ridicule all the people who, who, who believe it. But he said, I don't care. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to salvation. The next thought, because of its extent, that is, it goes to everyone who believes. There is no limit on the gospel. There is no ethnic limit there is no cultural limit. There is no national limit. There is no language limit. There is no age limit. There's no religious limit. What I mean by that is you can't say, well, you know, I'm not, I don't have the right skin tone, so I can't, I can't believe. I don't live in the right continent. I don't live in the right age. I don't speak the right language. I grew up in such and such a church. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm, I'm one, there are no limits. The power of the gospel goes to every single person who believes. There's no limitations on it. So Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because of its energy and because of its effect and because of its extent. And then one beautiful aspect of it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. That's the essential component of the gospel. Faith. It doesn't require money. You don't have to buy your way in. It doesn't require a certain level of education. It doesn't require a certain amount of fame or experience or a certain location or a, or a certain social standing. All that counts is faith in the gospel. And by the gospel, we mean the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. All of the things that are, that are surrounding that. 1 Corinthians 15, the, the Apostle Paul described the gospel as being all of the story that, that goes around Jesus' death and his burial and, and his resurrection. Why did he come? Who was he? Why was he here? Why did he die? How did God raise him from the dead? What were all of those things? And when we put our faith in that, in the gospel story, then we can experience the life-changing power of the gospel. Many years ago, I was witnessing to a fellow out that lived out here on Badger Creek. He's now passed away. But uh, he was out there, and he was dying of cancer basically at that time, and I was uh, trying to exp explain, explain the gospel to him. And I had explained the gospel to him on a number of occasions. And he was very interested. He was very open. He was very responsive. But, but he, he said to me one day, now, now Larry, I, I understand what you're trying to tell me. I get it. Okay. I mean, I mean, I understand. But do, do I have to come inside your church building in order to trust Christ? Of course, from my standpoint, that was kind of a hilarious question, but I didn't laugh. I'm thinking, no, you don't have to come inside our church building to put your faith in Christ. You can stand out here next to your barn and put your faith in Christ. You can sit in your chair and put your faith in Christ. You can drive down the road, although you should probably pull over if you're going to pray. And you can be in your car. I mean, it's just, you can put your faith in Christ anywhere on the planet. Oh, he said, that's very interesting. So I said, this is not some magic ceremony where you sort of rub the genie and you're inside a certain building and poof, something happens to you. 
This is where you tell God what you need to tell Him. What you understand about your sin and His salvation through Christ. And you put your faith in that to get you to heaven. Not your good works. Not your church. Not any ceremony that you've been involved in. And you know, that's a wonderful and exciting thing about, about salvation. Because it's essential is not money and education and social standing. It's faith. Do you believe what the Bible says about Jesus Christ? Do you believe what the Bible says about, about us? Do I believe what the Bible says about me? I'm a dirty, rotten sinner who deserves hell. Do, do I believe that? Do I accept that? Do I realize Jesus is the only way? That's what faith is all about. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of its energy, the power of God. Because of its effect, it brings salvation, it changes people, it delivers us. Because of its extent, it goes to everyone who believes. Because of its essential, its faith. And then the last reason, because of its, of its evidence. The righteousness of God is revealed through our lived out faith in verse 17. In it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteousness of God, I mean by faith to faith, it means our lived out faith. The righteousness of God shines through the changed lives of those who have believed the gospel. And it spreads from person to person to person to person as we live by faith in the, in the gospel. It is easy for us to feel intimidated by people who want to harass us or want to make fun of us or whatever. And Paul says, I mean, Paul, you look at all the things Paul went through. And yet he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It has power to change people. Anybody who believes can be changed by the gospel. It only requires faith in who Jesus is and what he did. We, we talk about the person and work of Christ. We mean who Jesus was and what he did on the cross for us. And because of its evidence, we, we, we look at changed lives of people. The gospel is the greatest, strongest, most holy, most pure, most incredible force in the world. It changes lives. It heals broken hearts. It resolves conflicts. It forgives sin. It brings confidence to the fearful. It brings peace to the hurting. And if we have the commitment of a gospel messenger, and if we understand the content of the gospel message, we have absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. I was just challenged with that again, thinking of this little Haitian fellow who's heading back into very difficult circumstances. Gangs and drug violence and voodoo, every place you go. And yet he's going back. Why? Because he is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I don't know what it's like in the circle of people you operate in. I know some of you probably were the circles you operate in. I know a little bit about what it's like, but I don't know every struggle that you face. But I just challenge you and encourage you today with this thought. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. We can trust it. We can proclaim it. We can, we can believe it. We dare not be intimidated by others who reject it. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Let's pray.
Father, help us this day. We are surrounded by false teachings. We are surrounded by false doctrine. We are surrounded by people who mock and scoff and ridicule and roll their eyes. And, oh no, some of those guys who believe the Bible. Some more of those Jesus people. And yes, Lord, we are. We are followers of Jesus. And I'm not ashamed of it. I do believe the Word of God, and I'm not ashamed of it. As the Apostle Paul, with all of the troubles and trials of everything he faced, he was not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. Not because he had something within him, but because the Gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. May we, Lord, believe it, proclaim it, stand on it, never be intimidated by those who reject it. Help us, Lord, to be all that we can be and should be for you. And may we see many of our loved ones coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, perhaps even this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.